0: Right, today's reading comes from John 11, 17 to 37. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would have lived. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had left him. When the Jews who had been with him in Mary's house Mary's house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and... In spirit, and was troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked, Come and see, Lord. They replied, Jesus wept. The Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? This is the gospel of Christ.
1: All glory be to Christ indeed. Please take a seat. Thank you, Margaret, for your interview. At first I worried that this was just a ploy by Joel to get you up here and publicly commit to joining his babysitting roster, but um, it was actually a really good, helpful uh, introduction into what we're going to be thinking about this morning. So why don't I pray, and then we'll um, get underway. Heavenly Father, we've just sung that all glory would be to Christ, our Good Shepherd, our Great King, our Saviour and Lord, And, Father, as we spend a few moments now really thinking about ourselves and how we should live as your people, I pray that it wouldn't just become selfish or introspective, that it would be with the great desire that our Lord Jesus be glorified, that it would lead to us seeing more people come to know him as Saviour and King, see more people becoming more like him, and seeing his people strengthened in their lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, next week we're heading back into Matthew's Gospel and it will be um, good to get back to what we normally do here at St. Stephen's, kind of preaching through books of the Bible. But as Joel said at the beginning, this week is the second uh, and the final one of a two-week topical series. Uh, Last week, if you were here, you'll know we looked at the issue of doubt, uh, an issue that's quite common for Christians to wrestle with. If you missed it, then I think the talk is uh, on the website and you can listen to it. But today we're thinking about a different topic. And uh, Joel already said what the title of that topic is. I felt with a little bit of um, kind of scepticism in his tone. Did people pick that? I'm seeing some nods around here, Joel. This was the title, just in case you missed it. Miserable Comforters, Pastoral Care That Avoids Pitfalls and Platitudes. It's not a very good title, I admit that. And I can say that without offending anyone because I came up with it, but it It's got alliteration doesn't have rhyming like last time, but it's, um, but at least it's interesting. You're kind of going, what's that about? Miserable comforters, pastoral care that avoids pitfalls and platitudes. What does it mean? What are we thinking about this morning? Well, miserable comforters. Uh, if you don't know where that term comes from, it comes from the book of Job. And if you know the book of Job, you'll know that it's about a character, a man called Job, and you know that he's a man who goes through enormous suffering in his life. This is a guy who knows what it is to experience terrible loss and pain. But he has these three friends, and these three friends come to comfort him during this period of his life where he's suffering so badly. And chapter 2 makes it really clear these are true friends, and they've got good intentions. If you know the book, you sometimes forget that. But these are true friends who've got good intentions. They hear about his troubles, they hear about what he's going through, and they decide between the three of them to go and see him. And they go to see him, and I'm quoting from Job 2.11 here, to sympathize with him and to comfort him. That's their desire. Now, for those of us who know the story, they don't succeed in that aim. They do anything but. They've gone there with the desire to help Job as he's facing this suffering, going through this pain and this struggle. But actually, the things they say, the way they speak, the, the content of their words makes Job's situation worse. In fact, you might argue at the end of the book, it's actually their comfort which is the worst thing Job goes through. Now, I'm not sure whether that's exactly right, but Job's suffering is described in one chapter and seven verses. Forty-two chapters are spent on the, the, the kind of comforters and Job's interactions and this has become so well known that people who try to support others but actually make things life uh, make their life worse for them are called job's comforters now it's a it's a saying that is often used but the title of this talk is miserable comforters why because that's job's own assessment of his comforters he says in job chapter 16 verse 2 miserable comforters are you all that's what he says to these people now i'm sure if you've been a christian for a while You've had, uh, you've gone through this experience. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time in your life, you have probably suffered from miserable comforters. You've had people who have probably been well meaning, probably been well intentioned, but they've actually made your situation worse because they've added to your guilt or your pain or your struggle. You will have had times when the platitudes offered by some, a well-meaning Christian friend has caused you annoyance because they've said, don't worry, God's in charge. If you, as you've, you've expressed your struggle with them or your wrestle and they've said, don't worry, God's in charge. That just makes you feel more guilty or more annoyed that that's there. Or they've added to your pain because they've made such an insensitive comment. Or sometimes it's worse than that. It's kind of devastation because of the extra weight their comfort has added to you. That's what I want us to consider this morning. How we can make sure, try and make sure that we're not miserable comforters to others. How we can try not to make things more hard for our brothers and sisters in Christ that are already going through difficult times. How we can try and be a blessing to them rather than add burden to them at hard times. In other words, how we can not fall into the Christian equivalent of telling horror labor stories to pregnant women. Doesn't that happen all the time? where you see a circle of people talking and one's pregnant and suddenly the conversation gets around to horror labour stories and you think, please stop, this is not what this pregnant lady needs to hear at the moment. Yet It happens all the time. Christians, we do that spiritually to each other. We can sometimes do the same kind of thing with the best of intentions. We're not trying to heap ashes on people, but we do it. We tell someone who's just lost a loved one, don't worry, God's in charge. And although that's true, That may be the last thing that needs to be heard at that particular moment because it adds to the confusion and the pain. We can do the same thing as we tell a person who's just found out about a life-ending medical diagnosis. Don't worry, in all things God works for the good of those who love him. And although that's true, there's more truth to it than that, and sometimes that verse is handled badly, I think, although that's true, the timing, the insensitivity, the, the appropriateness can add to the loneliness and the despair of the person who hears it. We can do the same as we tell the person who's going through a series of troubles, you just got to have faith. Well, thank you, George Michael, I already knew that. I, if, I, oh, if I'd realised that, I would have been fine. I'm sure you know what I'm speaking of when I say these things. Uh, the reality is, I'm sure, not only have we suffered from uh, miserable comforters, we've probably been miserable comforters to others. And again, not because we've wanted to, just because we haven't really thought about it, we've said the wrong thing at the wrong time, or taken the wrong action. So that's what we're thinking about. We're not talking about bad people here. We're not talking about people that are trying to cause problems. We're talking about us, well-meaning, good-intentioned Christian friends, but somehow we miss the mark. Somehow we achieve the opposite of what we actually intend. Sometimes all we do is create annoyance. It's kind of frustration because you've minimised what someone's going through. Other times we really wound and injure. Sometimes we devastate and overwhelm. So how can we do better? That's what we're thinking about this morning. And uh, the the shame of this morning is it's a bit like last week. If you were here last week, we looked at the uh, topic of doubt. I said that doubt's such a big subject, we're only going to be scratching the surface. Today's the same. There's so much we could go into, so much we could think on and reflect on. We're just going to be scratching the surface. But what I hope to do is give you three broad principles to consider so that you can then think about how to exercise them in your life, how you can use them uh, in your particular circumstances, so that we can seek to strengthen and encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ, not make things worse for them. So three broad points to keep in mind as we um, try and not fall into the trap of being miserable comforters to others. And the first one is this, don't fear silence or space, but beware shallowness. Two parts to that point, so I'll say it again, don't fear silence or space, but beware shallowness. Sometimes when we come across people that are facing tough times, we feel the need to jump in straight away and do something. We feel the need to offer things spoken straight away. And that's the time where we'll be tempted most, I think, to force ourselves into a situation or to speak when it's unnecessary or to offer something that's actually shallow, when actually we probably should have taken a bit more time to weigh up the situation and space might have been what was required. Uh, Silence might have been the most helpful thing. And nearly always what will be best is well-thought-out deep truths rather than just snap platitudes or slogans. And in this area, I'd I'd like to urge us as Christians to admit when we don't have answers. Often when people are wrestling with things, they're asking questions about God and why they're facing what they're facing. And sometimes as Christians, we're so quick to come in with answers which aren't necessarily full answers. I'd love it if we were a bit able to go, actually, I don't know. I don't know. Now, Job's comforters actually started off pretty well in this. They get a hard time, Job's comforters, but at at the beginning, they're pretty good. We're told in Job that when the three friends first went to go and see him, they saw him at a distance and they could hardly recognize him. Probably hardly recognize him because he was physically afflicted by that stage. He had sores and things. But also, I, I think probably couldn't recognise him well because when someone's going through that amount of pain and suffering often they change physically their eyes are are sunken in more they've lost weight, those kind of things but they see their friend and they immediately empathise with him we're told they tear their robes and sprinkle dust on their heads they're sympathising and then they sat with him on the ground for seven days and for seven nights and they didn't say anything to him so they actually, I, I think they start off pretty well because it's only when they actually open their mouth the problems begin. But the first thing they did was show their friend they loved him. They went to be with him. They sat in silence. They they showed that they sympathised. But then they opened their mouths. And we understand this, right? And yet we still fall into the trap of it. You will know, as I do, that sometimes when you're wrestling with something, we don't want attention, and we don't want sympathy, and we don't want someone talking to us about it. There will be other times when we need it, but there will be some times when we don't want it. Uh, one of my um, favourite singers is a guy called Gary Barlow, and he wrote a song called Dying Inside. And he wrote it, uh, often singers, you don't really know why they're writing particular songs, but it's, he was open about why he wrote this song. He had a period in his life where he and his wife, they had three children, and then they were about to have their fourth child, and it was the child was stillborn. And the very next week, after they had this uh, stillborn child, he had to sing at the 2012 Olympic Games closing ceremony with his band. So it's only a week out from having that. And he wrote this song called Dying Inside. And uh, this is what he says in the lyrics. How can I make sure no one notices me? Don't want a conversation with nobody. And it hurts too much to say how I feel. What you don't know is all I know. I'm smiling, but I'm dying inside. And how can I make sure no one worries for me? Because I don't need a helping hand and I don't want sympathy. Don't know what I need, but know what I don't. What you can't see, it feels so broke. That you can't see is how I'll cope, because I'm dying inside. I want everyone around to think that I'm all right. Hope they assume I've left the dark and found the light. Want them to think that I don't cry myself to sleep at night he's wrestling with, he doesn't want people to come and chat to him at that time. Sometimes people struggling need space. Sometimes people wrestling with things are better served with silence. And sometimes we as Christians can jump into action too soon and speak before thinking. And we can give shallow statements uh, which are, are not broad enough and deep enough to give real comfort and provide real assurance. I think the fact that Job deals with suffering and it's 42 chapters long should speak to us because sometimes we think we should be able to answer someone's questions about suffering in a soundbite with a one-verse answer. Job is talking about suffering. It's 42 chapters long. That should tell us something about that situation. I'm not saying there aren't things we can say into situations. I'm not saying there aren't assurances we can give, but shallowness is sometimes a problem. And what a person might need at that particular time is space or silence. So that's the first point. Don't fear silence or space, but beware shallowness. Secondly, offer the right thing at the right time. Offer the right thing at the right time. Now, this is a point I've made a couple of times before here at St. Stephen's, but I always think it's worth us uh, reminding ourselves of it again. And it comes from the reading that um, we had this morning. Jesus is always good to look at these situations because Jesus is the master of the pastoral situation. And unlike you and I, where we will make wrong mistakes as we think we know what's wrong with someone and we think we know what what they need, Jesus always gets it right, which is a little frustrating for us because we want to get it right, but it's great when we watch him at work. And here we see Jesus, the pastoral care expert at work in John 11. Now what I want you to notice here is the pastoral situation is very clear. Lazarus has died that's what's causing the hurt and the pain and the struggle in this chapter and there are two sisters of Lazarus Mary and Martha and they are heartbroken this is what death does in life it causes pain and struggle and misery and suffering to those who love those who've died and so Mary and Martha are heartbroken but despite the pastoral issue being the same Lazarus has died Despite the fact that both sisters come up to Jesus separately and say almost exactly the same words to him, Jesus responds to both sisters differently. Very differently. Have a look at verse 21. Lazarus has died. Martha sees Jesus first. She comes up to him and says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Then there's a little bit of interplay, but in the end, the response, the pastoral response that Jesus ends up giving to Martha is speaking to Martha wonderful Christian truths that not just Martha benefited from, but all Christians have benefited from down through the ages. As he says to Martha in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you see what Jesus does pastorally for Martha there? He gives her truth to hold on to, truth to be challenged with and to know in her head and in her heart and to live by. But then, in only a few verses, verses time, same pastoral situation, Lazarus has died, same issue, A sister is heartbroken, Mary sees Jesus and she comes up and in verse 32 says the same thing, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But Jesus is different here. He sees her weeping. He sees the people with her weeping. We're told that Jesus himself was moved in spirit and troubled. He's seeing here sin and death are up close. And in verse 35, we get the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Now I want you to think about this and reflect on what it means for us. Same pastoral problem that Lazarus is dead. Same issue for the two sisters. They miss their brother and they love him. But Jesus responds to them differently. To one he speaks truth, to the other he sheds tears. Very important to know when we're trying to encourage each other and stand alongside each other and be with each other that both those responses can be necessary. There there are times when pastorally what people need more than anything else is just someone to lean on, someone to have a quiet hug with, someone to be with them and weep together. They need tears. But there will be other situations, other pastoral issues that crop up when what is needed is strong words, reassuring words, a bit of a rev up, a reminder of assurances and promises, perhaps hard words to kind of challenge. They need truth. The problems come when we give the wrong thing in the wrong circumstance. If someone needs tears and we try to give them truth, it can be so alienating and hurtful. We try and speak these things into their lives, but actually all they needed was an arm around their shoulders and someone to listen. When someone uh, (coughs) needs truth and all we give them tears, we're just leaving them in that situation, not helping them move past, and it's, it's the same, they can be damaging and yet so often we don't know which one's needed. What makes it even more complicated is most of us by nature are naturally more one than the other. We're either the kind of people who bring the truth to every situation or we're the people who always stick the arms around. And that will be great if it's the right thing at the right time and it will be causing difficulty if it's the wrong thing. So don't just go with your natural inclination. Always be trying to think uh, when you're pastorally caring for other Christians, brothers and sisters, what do they require in this circumstance at this time? At the moment, I think, within our church family, I think this is the same nationally as kind of lockdowns affect different people. There are lots of people struggling at the moment in our church family. And some will require tears and some will, will require truth. And if you get it the wrong way around, we add to their burdens. If we get it the right way around, we're a blessing and a comfort. We have to think about it. Another complication will be often the person themselves won't necessarily know what's best for them. I said before that Gary Barlow sang a song where he was saying, I don't want sympathy, I don't want help. But sometimes someone may feel like that, but it's actually what they need. So we can't even take our cue always from what they say they need because they won't know themselves it's a very complicated situation. Jesus is the expert, got it always right in every situation. You and I are not. So we need to take care, we need to think. We need well we're going, we need other things which I'm going to get to in a moment. Just blurting out something can cause problems. Doing something at the wrong time can be problematic. Saying true things at the wrong time can cause problems. We want to be We want to do the right thing at the right time. So, firstly, don't fear silence or space. Beware shallowness. Secondly, we want to do the right thing at the right time. Thirdly, lastly, and perhaps most importantly, if we don't want to be miserable comforters, deepen your relationship with the Lord. The deeper our relationship with the Lord, the better prepared we will be to help people when they're struggling and suffering. I was going to apologise for this, but I've decided not to apologise because I'm about to give the same message that I gave last week. But uh, I can't help it. It's just what we need to do. We need to deepen our relationship with the Lord, and if we're going to deepen our relationship with the Lord, we need time in prayer and we need time in the Word. And when it comes to pastoral care and trying to be good comforters, not miserable comforters, we need to spend time in prayer and time in the Word. You and I won't know what to do in certain circumstances. What do you do then? Pray. Because you're not Jesus, but you have the Spirit, and you can ask God to help you by your Spirit know what to do and the way to do it and the timing of it. I have a prayer. This is probably not good to um, admit publicly because I don't think it's very holy, but I have a, a prayer that I do when I'm doing pastoral care. I call it the gambler's prayer. This is the not holy part. It's not about gambling, but it's just if you know the Kenny Rogers song. <laughs> you got to know when to hold them, when to fold them, when to walk away, when to run. That's the prayer that I do. It's not those lyrics exactly, but I'm saying, Lord, I don't quite know what's needed here. But you know when to hold them. You know when to fold it. I've got to stop. You know what I'm trying to say. Lord, I need your help here. The last thing I want to do is cause extra burden and pain on these people. I want to take the right tone, the right words. Should I move closer or further away? Do they need tears? Do they need truth? Praying to the Lord for guidance, there's nothing better that we can do in these situations. It's vital. Lord, I don't know what's required. You do. Please help me. And pray that the Lord will increase the fruit of the Spirit within us. Pray that more and more we will exhibit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Because the more we exhibit that, the more of a blessing we will be. And then, on top of praying, get into the word. Get into the word because the better we understand from the word, which is the primary way this happens, the more we understand God and his ways and his promises and the way that he works, the better equipped we will be to be able to offer genuine advice that helps. Truths that are not shallow but have depth. Assurances that are not just platitudes but are profound. The more we spend time in the word, we'll be able to understand what it means that in all things God works for the good of those who love him because some people misapply that in a way which adds burden instead of being the great comfort that it actually is. Maybe that's the next topic we should do uh, for an issue sometime. But prayer and the word, spending time in those things will deepen our relationship with the Lord and that in turn, that stronger bond with him, that better understanding of him and asking for him to help will better equip us to help and support and assist our brothers and sisters in Christ who are going through difficult times for their benefit. I hope you can see that. And forgive me for being the same kind of prayer and the word, but that's what we need. That's what we need. Now, this talk has all been one way. How can we um, avoid being the kind of miserable comforters Job experienced? I haven't spoken of what you should do if you've had miserable comforters. Uh, And I'm not going to because that's not really the topic. But it's forgiveness. Forgiveness. Some of us will have been hurt by others. I pray that we can forgive. Um, sometimes there's just, a, I think, moving on from that is not even worth bringing it up. Other times it's good to talk to the person because so they don't do it again or they can realise that it may have been insensitive, but forgiveness is the kind of uh, overwhelming thing. But what I want us to focus on this morning and to think about as we leave from here is how we can make sure we're not miserable comforters to others. I actually um, I think that... Uh, <clears throat> I think it's going to be hard days ahead for Christians in New Zealand. I think there's going to be, it's going to be tricky being a Christian in our society in the days ahead, which means we're going to need each other more and more. And we're going to need each other to comfort each other. So I pray that we will put this into practice with one another. Three things to bear in mind as we do that. Don't fear silence or space, but beware shallowness. Make sure we're doing the right thing at the right time and deepen our relationship with the Lord through prayer and the word. We'll be best equipped to look after each other if we do those things. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ who uh, got this right every step of the way. And we thank you that we can look to the Gospels to see him put this into practice. And I pray that we would continue to ask you for help as we seek to look after each other. Forgive us for those times where either... We have, um, by thoughtlessness or foolishness, actually made things harder for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I pray that more and more we would be intentional so that we could try to be a blessing and a comfort and a help and a fortress to others rather than heap ashes on their heads. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.